Welcome everyone to Uncorked with Holly and Gina. We're excited you've joined us for a conversation to unleash your inner badassery and uncork your magic. This is the no bullshit, all truth, nothing but fun podcast. And don't worry, we've got you. You are our VIP. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Uncorked with Holly and Gina. Okay, Gina, today what we're doing is something very, very special. We've been waiting a while for this beautiful, wonderful person to come and join us today. But listen, my patience meter and my factor like if you're scoring patients and you know who you are as a human went up oh yeah but i'm yeah. excited i don't have so to wait she any helped longer heal you yes she did yes, yes. Okay. listen so yes. listen today everyone hold on to your hats because what is happening is what the hell is going on i mean Gina, you gotta go look what the early hell? in the morning <laughs> what the hell is going on with this pandemic and anxiety oh listen what the hell is going on and is it a spiritual problem and what the hell do we do about it and you know what we've got a badass lady in the house ready to talk about this and she is qualified overqualified more than me oh we can't answer this question gina we are unqualified (laughs) unqualified so in the house today we have dr ellen Voritz. our pleasure she is an md board certified psychiatrist she Mm. does acupuncture she could poke you with pins (gasps) gina i do love that that. and a yoga teacher then we can go do our shavasana with her okay i do love shavasana that's my my favorite favorite part (laughs) (laughs) i know it's true and and, tree and shavasana i mean i I nail those every time yep Uh and what is super exciting today is that she is the author of a best-selling book the anatomy of anxiety Mm. and that is understanding and overcoming the body's fear response Mm. i love that in the title Mm -hmm. so welcome dr ellen vora thank you for having me it's an honor to be here we are so thrilled you're here and well worth the wait and i'm excited to uh, share this conversation with our audience for sure so um how we like to start our podcast dr ellen do you use it dr ellen dr vora Dr. Dr. E. Call me Ellen. Dr. E. Dr. V. E. V. Oh, oh yeah. Very, earned value. I think about earned value. Oh, yeah. You're an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. That sounds like a spy name. I kind of like that. But Ellen, give, at your request, Ellen. So, Ellen, so tell us a little bit about kind of who you are at your core, your, your kind of the milestones of Ellen, Dr. Ellen, and, um, and how you arrived to where you're at today that I think would be helpful to set a really good foundation for, for our listeners before we dive into some questions. Sure. So at my core, I started off this journey in a very conventional way. I went to medical school. I was in crisis in medical school. I was quite a disenchanted med student, but I didn't yet have the vocabulary, the way of framing what felt so wrong to me about conventional medicine. So I was always in this state of limbo. I kept moving forward and proceeding, but kept wondering, should I drop out altogether and do something completely different? Um, And part of the reason I was in crisis, it was a two-part crisis. On the one hand, I did not feel convinced that I was actually helping my patients thrive. I wondered sometimes if I was violating that first principle of medicine, which is first do no harm. Mm -hmm. And I really felt disenchanted with what I had been taught and that it wasn't really the keys to the kingdom to helping humanity heal and feel good in their bodies. And in parallel with that, 
I was a mess. I was physically unwell, mentally unstable. I really was not okay. I was like a machine with all the springs popping out. I had a malar rash, these signs of autoimmunity in my blood work, joint pain, ocular migraines, headaches, polycystic ovary syndrome, couldn't get a period, couldn't poop to save my life. Wow. Nothing was working. Wow. And I was doing everything wow. quote unquote right. And I would go to see my gynecologist, my primary care doc, and they'd say, your blood work looks fine. You're fine. And I would come back and say, but I'm not fine. I'm not getting my period. I cannot poop. Everything hurts. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, they'd say, well, you seem stressed and let's put you back on the pill. And have you thought about Prozac? And so that was mm. a head scratcher for me. I, I knew on some level this couldn't possibly be the the cure for what's going on here. And I, I really had to think about the fact that I am the product of 500 or so generations of successful reproduction. Why at 23 years old was I not getting a period? Mm. Why was I suddenly infertile? Was there something environmental participating in that? So that got me started down a line of thinking that was, should we be doing things fundamentally differently? And then I just as a way of surviving med school, started pursuing other disciplines, other ways of thinking about health and healing. I studied Chinese medicine and acupuncture, studied nutrition, functional medicine, psychedelic medicine, Ayurveda, I became a yoga teacher. And all of that helped me have more tools, but also a very different paradigm for understanding the health of the human body. And somewhere along that journey, probably the most important thing that happened was that I got kind of hit over the head with, wait a second, I've been disavowing my own intuition all this time as a form of performing masculine, objective, rational ways of thinking and being to be acceptable, to be approved of, to gain entrance into the boys club. And I realized, holy shit, I've been silencing this part of myself and it's come from a place of self-loathing misogyny and I've been missing out. And now my intuition, my connection to spirituality, this is a very critical compass in how I navigate decisions. It's also what gives my life meaning and a through line to fulfillment. And so that's been a really pivotal juncture along that journey of figuring out how can I practice medicine in a way that is in alignment. Oh, I love wow. that. So did I mention that she is from Yale and Columbia? So yeah. how did, so uh, for her medicine, Incredible. for her degrees, and so did you learn, do those institutions teach this or you t use that as the foundation because you're practicing functional medicine, mm -hmm. which is where well, I want you to explain what functional medicine is as opposed to, I guess, allopathic medicine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then as it as it pertains to mental health i mean that's a like yep i Absolutely. mean the root cause of all of that is so i want you to talk a little bit about that like and i and how do those institutions actually teach that okay i have no idea and so if you can just like you know expand on that that'd be great yeah, there's a quick answer to that question, which is <laughs> no, no, no they don't. So, but i didn't want to presume <laughs> but anything. it's not even just those elite institutions don't yeah. teach it i think it's just it's a it's a fundamental framework around the medical training in this country correct yeah we're yeah. not there yet yeah. and these institutions change slowly yeah. um and with a lot of bureaucracy a lot of medical legal inertia mm -hmm. and 
And if you think about the type of person who makes it into medicine, we're typically someone who is happy to jump through hoops. We're happy to stay on a track and check a lot of boxes. And it really requires so much delayed gratification and really in certain ways, so much in the box thinking yeah. to make it through all the of hoops. those milestones. Okay. The rigor. So yeah. it's rare mm. to have someone make it through that decade and then be like, hey, wait a minute, let's do this all completely differently. Um, yeah. It's a rare person that has both of those traits. I feel like I just have a, a, in, a combination of perfectionism and um, a sort of steady, earthy, Capricorn rising persistence. Oh, nice, yeah. While also being such a weirdo. And so I feel like that helped me arrive at a place of making it through, but also wanting to do things differently. And I have kindred spirits out there, which is nice, but I certainly wasn't taught this way um, in these institutions. So functional medicine, mm -hmm. let's define it. The best definition I've come across is that rather than what we do in conventional medicine is symptom suppression. We say, hey, you have heartburn. Okay, let's give you an antacid. Then you're no longer making stomach acid and then you no longer have heartburn. Problem solved. And functional medicine is root cause resolution. And the central question is always why? So you might go to your doctor and say, I have heartburn. And the first question is, I wonder why you're experiencing heartburn. What's the root cause here? Is it that you have increased abdominal pressure? If so, then why? Are you obese? Are you pregnant? Do you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth exerting a pressure upward? And if that's the case, why do you have that? And let's address that. So you just keep exploring the why until you really understand the fundamental root of a problem, you address it on that level, and then you obviate the need to ever give a, a symptom suppressive agent because you no longer have symptoms because you've addressed the problem at the root. We're in a moment now where little by little, we're seeing functional medicine yeah. take a seat at the table in the realm of how we practice medicine. It's still very much not mainstream, but it's happening. Absolutely. And with mental health, it's time. Let's it do this. Time. Mental health is no mm -hmm. different. Yeah. Um, and that is a fundamental paradigm shift in understanding mental health is rather than thinking this is a genetic chemical imbalance and our depression and our anxiety are a destiny and a fixed trait and it's genetic. It just means you have low serotonin and focusing on it from the neck up. Let's actually expand our thinking and realize this too has a root cause. And when it comes to mental health issues, my belief is that for the most part, the root cause is either some form of physical imbalance, and we can talk about some of the different yeah. forms that contribute, or psycho-spiritual imbalance. And that's where it's really our fundamental human needs going unmet. Psycho-spiritual. I love that. I do Did too. you coin that? Or is that something that's out there? Like it, that I think it's a spiritual crisis. Yes. And in, in a lot of ways. So you talk in your book, you talk about um, false anxiety and true anxiety and maybe you can just define that and then we'll go back to yeah you know because i loved your perception of that like not all anxiety is bad no right yeah so false anxiety which now a year and a half into a book tour i've realized is an incredibly triggering term yes <laughs> so, right yes. clarify in that people feel like you know you're saying that, that their, their feelings are not real or they're fake or not 
natural yeah. at the that's point. not what you're saying yeah. yeah that's not and what I'll, you're saying yeah. i want to give full credit to my editor who like day one of this project with me was like i'm not sure people are gonna love that term i was like ah it's gonna be fine <laughs> <laughs> it was very right glass half full and glass half empty yeah yeah, yeah. but to clarify it a false anxiety is avoidable anxiety we can just oh, switch out the term avoidable. And the idea here is it's the anxiety that's existing and happening in our physical body. And that's something that we have to start to appreciate about mental health issues, even though they manifest as something we experience from our mind and our thoughts, they can have a physical basis. Mm -hmm. And false anxiety, avoidable anxiety occurs when something has tipped our physiology out of balance and generated a stress response, which we then subjectively experience as anxiety or even panic. But it has usually a pretty innocuous aspect of modern life at the root. We're maybe sleep deprived or we're in a blood sugar crash. We had an extra cold brew coffee that day. Mm -hmm. We're inflamed, we're hungover. Mm -hmm. And this is generating a stress response, which we then experience as anxiety. We would do well to address it at that level of the physical body, and then we can eliminate unnecessary suffering. And that's the idea with false anxiety. This is unnecessary suffering. I don't call it false to invalidate the very real suffering yes. involved, but that it has a straightforward basis. It doesn't need to be happening. It's not our deep inner truth. Right. True anxiety, very much on the other hand, is our deep inner truth. Mm -hmm. And this is not a type of anxiety that we want to suppress. This is not something we want to pathologize. In fact, true anxiety is not even what's wrong with us. It is what's right with us mm -hmm. when we are able to viscerally connect to what's wrong in the world. Mm -hmm. So this is our inner compass. It's asking us, nudging us. It's saying, slow down pay attention, you know on some level something is out of alignment here. And it could be in our personal lives, it can be in our communities, it can be in the world at large, but it's tapping on us and saying, come on, admit it. If you really slow down and get honest with yourself, you realize that you need to course correct in some way. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we don't want to pathologize. We really want to get good at listening to and, and honoring in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh it's God. an invitation to make changes. And if you don't listen to that true part of you, then you end up in the avoidable anxiety. Mm -hmm. Is that what we're calling it? Not false anxiety, avoidable anxiety. Is that is that sort of how that can, that can manifest that way, but it doesn't have to? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> I feel like that's a deep metaphysical interpretation yes. of this paradigm where yes. like when we ignore our psycho-spiritual needs, it creates physical imbalance in the yeah. body. I agree with that. Okay. Although I mean it in a more simplistic way. Okay, like, gotcha. <laughs> if we ignore our true anxiety, our true anxiety remains. Yeah. And it sometimes goes from a whisper to a shout. Mm. That's but what I think, I think right. is spiritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, right. yes. so we call it the universal two by four. Yeah, I actually. know. <laughs> you know, when you get like, you know, you, you know, you, you realize. Ignore it, ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. And then finally it just wow. like smacks you right across the yeah. face. You, you just can no longer ignore it. Right. So That's how right. do we know if we have anxiety? How do we know? Like, you know, um, whether, yeah. I mean, how do we know whether it's just like we have a problem in our body somehow or it's related to anxiety? Is there a way of knowing that? Here's, here's what I think about that very good question is that I don't think that the answer is where it's at. 
Because I think that for the most part, we're in a cultural moment where the pH of this stew that we're swimming in, <laughs> the common way that we yeah. subjectively identify our states of feeling unwell, yeah. we call that anxiety these days. So we don't need a lot of help on a cultural societal level being having our anxiety pointed out to us. Most people are saying, they're coming to me and saying, I'm anxious. And yeah. so to me, like the more interesting work is what's at the root. Um, for those few people that are not subjectively identified with this word anxiety, but we might look on from the outside and be like, mm, migraines, stomach problems, can't relax, like they're anxious and they don't realize it. Yeah. Okay, you know, once in a while, somebody's not connecting with that term. But I also think we're living in a moment right now, and this is very much influenced by the pharmaceutical industry, allopathic medicine, which is telling us there's something one zero about anxiety that some people have true blue clinical anxiety and some people are just stressed. Um, and mm. we're oh. trying to gatekeep something there. And I don't buy it for a second. I think that, of course, there's a difference in degree of how anxious some people are, but I don't think there's quite that same difference in kind that that paradigm, that that duality is intending to suggest. Meaning they're trying to say some people have real genetic anxiety and they require medication. And some people are just stressed and they need to stop complaining. And so I think that right. I really oh, think that if you're suffering in any way, trust that. And we all deserve a pathway to find relief from that suffering. And I just don't think that when we're saying that something is real true blue anxiety, it implies that's the real thing that has a genetic basis that can only be treated with a pill. And actually, it's all the same shit. I hope it's okay to curse. Yes, absolutely. And so basically, mm -hmm. yes. um, somebody who's very anxious, I'm still doing the same investigative work to understand what What's their root cause? I'm still not satisfied to just chalk this up to a genetic chemical imbalance that they were always destined to be anxious. I'm still thinking about, are they inflamed? Are they chronically sleep deprived from sleep apnea? Um, are their hormones out of whack? Do they have micronutrient deficiencies? Mm. Are they intolerant to something that they're eating? Is there something off in their gut health? Um, is their blood sugar swinging on a wild roller coaster ride all the time? Are they always just chronically hungover? I'm thinking about the same physical root causes and of course wow. the same psycho-spiritual root causes because those are still the root causes even when someone is suffering from severe anxiety. Whoa. Yeah, I know. I well, love what a gift that mm -hmm. is to hear, honestly, for anyone suffering that, that, you know, even if you might have a more, you know, severe case of it when it does affect you, that, that there are things that we have within our control. It's not something that you are hardwired for that you're gonna have to deal with your whole life i mean you we some people are may be hardwired so they'll have to manage themselves a little bit differently and really work a little harder at it yeah. than others but the fact that it's not something that some because i i've heard that from many people including you know my son has had it i worry about it like i don't want to have to take medicine my entire that's life what we hear it's like it. i hear so many times that like i don't want to take medicine we both have family members mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. my whole life and what you're saying is and i've heard yes. you say this so I, I you can speak to it but like it's not that you're against medicine it's like yeah. it's like if it's needed you i you you yeah. did the mountain analogy yep. i think this is really great i love that yeah, no it's and but there's relief here in these other things. So maybe we can talk about, yeah. and you were sort of getting to like hormones. And so there's, there's a relief and that's, I feel like, I feel like, and maybe this is our, our culture. It's like, 
I'm having a crisis moment. I need a pill. So they'll get a pill. I mean, we're just handing them out like candy mm-hmm. right now, which I'm not saying anything bad you, about that. When you see a normal doctor, you have 15 minutes to kind listen, of get across your problems. I had, and I, had, I had a family member that had a crisis and I was like, yeah, give them a pill. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then, then like there is a journey to find yep. out what is it physiological is it you know what what let's rule out things from a doctor perspective which you were talking about micronutrients mm-hmm. hormones all of that stuff but that's a journey yes it is and a journey. so it's like i feel like we're so impatient like i want to feel better i want to feel better now that and then it's offered easily you can get it easily and this is harder to find we even we're in seattle you're yeah. in new york i i think and and it's like we have trouble we're finding literally having functional this conversation medicine yes. like where do you find these people who where are you you're a unicorn dr Ellen. i know okay, and where like, do we go to find it like and, and what are the critical things we need to ask for just to kind of start yeah. this journey like so what, there's a lot of there yes. was i mean i don't know we, we we had a lot there i mean i think dr <laughs> dr moore probably has anxiety now i know she's like let me talk and stop talking okay <laughs> okay go ahead you two are You're giving up. me anxiety <laughs> there's so many threads i want to pull okay, here yeah, so pull one is yep. that you all are in seattle i believe bestier university is yes. there if you can if you google functional medicine practitioners in your area that's one way to find it mm-hmm. not always Sometimes it's prohibitively expensive. Sometimes they're not taking new patients and it's hard to get an appointment. I get all that. All else fails, see a naturopath. Naturopaths are the original functional medicine yes, practitioners. Yes, we, yes. we love to celebrate the ivory tower of someone having an MD or they're mm-hmm. a doctor of osteopathy, but naturopaths do amazing work, more affordable typically, and they have that root cause resolution mindset and a vitalist understanding of the body that this is a body that fundamentally works and can heal if you give it the right conditions mm-hmm. so just putting that aside mm-hmm. let's unify and sort of elegantly bring together everything you guys just brought up because i think you're nailing the central reframe that's so critical and what i want people to take away most of all from our conversation mm. we've all come of age with this genetic chemical imbalance idea around mental health that it's our low serotonin that it's from our neck up and it implies that our mental health issues are a destiny a fixed trait and that we're stuck and and it suggests that it's a genetic chemical imbalance that's corrected with a pill if that works for you if you saw the practitioner for 15 minutes and they gave you a prescription for an antidepressant and you found relief great i really am not dogmatically opposed to that i'm a psychiatrist this is my training i prescribe medication when it works holla fucking luya mm-hmm. i'm not really interested in saying i am philosophically against pharmaceuticals i'm in the business of decreasing human suffering and when that's the path up that mountain of healing for somebody that works this is a beautiful thing and if you're one of those people don't feel stigma or shame about taking medication take your meds and count yourself as fortunate that it helps you yeah. that said what i'm also keenly aware of is that there are millions of people right now for whom that has not been an adequate solution they might have initially felt better on the meds and then the effect wanes over time or they found that they get intolerable side effects or maybe they've tried 50 different medications nothing's really helped them and they're starting to feel pretty demoralized mm-hmm. and hopeless and that's where i really want to swoop in and immediately change the conversation because those folks who have not found satisfactory symptom suppression from conventional pharmaceuticals and they're despairing and they're feeling like they might just be broken and 
and it's beyond repair and it's nothing's going to work for them. I want to talk directly to those folks mm -hmm. because that narrative that we've had up until now that says this was a genetic chemical imbalance corrected with a pill and that that's the only path up the mountain of feeling better, that is myopic, it's untrue, and it's our least hopeful narrative about mental health. Mm -hmm. So if that hasn't been the helpful framing for you, don't despair because there's a very different way to think about mental health where we start to realize that even if we just expand our lens to look at the evidence-based determinants of mental health that list includes how we're sleeping how we're feeding our bodies whether or not we're moving how inflamed we are the degree to which we have inflammatory cytokine molecules coursing through our bloodstream and also the more psycho-spiritual factors like do we have community in our lives do we feel a sense of meaning and purpose do we have ritual pleasure play um, all of these things are also evidence-based determinants of our mental health and when we shift our focus to that list these environmental things the things we have more control over this is ultimately a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset framing. It sees that we have some control over whether or not our genetic predispositions for mental health issues ever manifest into our mental health issues. We have environmental influence on that. We have some control. And so this is ultimately a message of empowerment mm -hmm. and hope. And I think that we deserve this because it's the truth and we've left a lot of people feeling hopeless when in fact there's so much they can do to feel better yeah. oh wow okay i had goosebumps that yeah, was very was powerful and so i want to for our listeners that that speaks to them for us yes i want to give them a roadmap. yeah and so yes, like please. so the first thing that i think would be really important because we can't hit everything in the time that we have here and you tell me, you you edit my list. You're my editor. <laughs> so, so. Don't use the term false anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just like to rebrand things. Actually, so she'll come up with something. I don't think you should ever feel wrong about that yeah. because that is was perfect as it went out. And so, like, I I could get on my and, and once people understand it, it's like, oh, I get it. You know, I get it. Like, there's nuance there. But okay, here's the here's what I'm going to say for folks that okay you have a family member or you're feeling here's the checklist of things mm -hmm. all right so the first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to go out and get your book anatomy of anxiety yeah. because you're you list everything in there that they can look at and here's the thing not only are we swimming in the ph of oh my god i, I love, love that yes you know, like, yes we're swimming in the fact that we have to take the soup okay the stew. The stew. i think it was stew, which is a little power. bit darker and muddier than soup generally so yes, yes. okay yes. So, <laughs> so we have to take the power back personally about our bodies our medicine mm -hmm. what works for us we're in the driver's seat we can't just go to one place it's yes. like we have to seek out get curious get curious do your own interpretation of how you're feeling what you're doing pay attention you're gonna say an interpretive dance gina oh, oh i could do that That could too, be good too the yeah, raise your get so, rid of your anxiety yes. anyway <laughs> so what i'm saying is get the book and then find a functional medicine is does it have to be a functional medicine or doctor naturopathic. that go wait a second on oh, that okay oh, oh. and um do they have to specialize in mental health that's the first question and then it's of the checklist and then the second second one is you go to a natural path and you've read the book so you know you need to check your micronutrients you know you need mm -hmm. to um, check your you know your hormone levels you know your thyroid all that okay so um, you're armed with 
what you're going to the naturopath for. And then even though those two doctors may not special in mental health, like our unicorn here guest today. So can you go through that checklist and edit the hell out of it and make it yours and let's make it applicable for everybody who's listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, I think we can actually have an even simpler roadmap. Excellent. And, um, and I'll say, you're right that we have to be in the driver's seat and that's for two main reasons one is that there are nefarious factors that mean that our system is kind of designed to keep us dependent and sick and there's financial incentives that are all perverse and make us do all the wrong things but then there's also just an accidental brokenness of the healthcare system which is that well-meaning hard-working burned out doctors have eight minutes with you and need to solve that problem and you're crying in their office and you have a whole catastrophe of a life yes and and we feel bad for them yes Mm -hmm. what can i possibly do but hand over a prescription for Xanax. Yes. And so um, so we're in a really tricky position. I also want to say this, which is that not just to sort of push my book, it could be my book, it could be somebody else's book. There are a lot of excellent books with a functional mindset framing, um, but you can start with a book. You don't necessarily have to start by seeing a functional medicine doc or naturopath or holistic health coach or whatever it is. You can start with a book because most of us are so out of balance that just doing those fundamental that we can learn from a book, from a $20 book, um, that alone will solve a lot of our issues. And it's really only you want to go then make sure you see a naturopath if there's still something persistent and pesky. Um, Thyroid issues would be a classic where Mm -hmm. someone did everything the functional medicine way and they're still so symptomatic. That's when I want them to see an enlightened naturopath or functional medicine doc to take a look at things like dysbiosis or thyroid. Thyroid in the conventional setting, they're typically only looking at TSH and T4 and they're basically saying, you're fine. But uh, a person can have a thyroid that's really compensating in the face of a lot of autoimmune antibody attack on that thyroid and their TSH and T4 might look fine when they're really not fine. And that's actually the window of opportunity when we can intervene and prevent a full-blown thyroid issue. So I want someone to go see a naturopath or functional medicine doc, get the full Picasso cubist look at the thyroid, look at everything, not just TSH and T4, but also T3, reverse T3, mm-hmm. thyroglobulin antibodies, thyroid peroxidase antibodies. Then with that view, is your thyroid really fine? Right. Or are you at an early stage of an autoimmune disease that we want to intervene on the level of healing the gut and eliminating things that are contributing to this autoimmune illness so that we can obviate the need for thyroid meds and eliminate the anxiety and depression all at once. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the, the actual roadmap is start with a book. Yeah, 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 I get that because there's a lot of nutritional, a lot of things that you can do yourself to make those changes. Well, and I, and- I you know, just even in, in, in kind of your, you're talking about setting up the, the, the whole concept of, you know, anxiety coming from within and not being a head issue per se, mm-hmm. um, always, um, but it could be from within the body too. I, I mean, there are probably areas that might be causing, I know there's areas that, that might be causing anxiety that people aren't thinking of and aren't yeah. connecting the dots of this could be related to that. Yeah. Um, Here's like show three up. Yeah. classic examples of that that I see in my practice all the time. Great. One is blood sugar. 
Um, a lot of us are on the blood sugar roller coaster because the modern American diet is yep. built on a foundation of coffee drinks that are secretly milkshakes and rosé all day. So our blood sugar spikes and then it crashes. And the design of the body is to react to a blood sugar crash by secreting our stress hormones. And there's biologic mm. reasons for that, but it happens mm. to have as a side effect that it can feel identical to anxiety or even panic. And this is just happening because our blood sugar is swinging all over the place. So we can eliminate a lot of unnecessary anxiety simply by keeping our blood sugar stable. And there's different ways to do that. Some of my patients are kind of up for the diet overhaul that keeps their blood sugar stable which not only prevents anxiety, but is protective against um, heart disease, dementia, it improves your energy and cognitive function. But then also some people aren't ready for a diet overhaul. That's fine. It's hard to do that. It's expensive to do that. I get it. It's triggering for many people yeah. to do that. So a hack that a lot of my patients use is to use something like a spoonful of almond butter or coconut oil. And that's something okay. that's so slow to be digested and released into the bloodstream that it can give you this safety net of stable blood sugar, which can then blunt a blood sugar crash. And mm, so some of my patients great. just take a spoonful of coconut oil before they brush their teeth at night, before they leave the office so that they don't inevitably pick a fight with their partner like clockwork every day at 5 30 p.m they basically <laughs> they basically keep their blood sugar stable to prevent these stress responses in their body that's one classic oh, thing we that. don't think to connect to anxiety but it's happening um a hangover like you know even not just a hangover but the after effects of alcohol consumption which is nobody's favorite conversation but I think that we just want to, I just like knowing the scientific truth, and then I will let that inform my choices. So with alcohol, part of the reason we like it is that it rushes our brain with GABA, the mm. neurotransmitter gamma aminobutyric acid, mm -hmm. and GABA feels great. Mm -hmm. It's our inhibitory neurotransmitter. It makes us feel calm and like everything's okay. And if it ended there, I would say alcohol is the best treatment for anxiety. But the brain doesn't really care whether or not we're calm or that we feel like everything's going to be okay. It's tasked with our survival. Mm. So when it sees all that GABA, it thinks if a leopard were to come around the corner, we'd be too buzzed to care and we could potentially be in danger. So oh. it wants to restore us to homeostasis so that we have the appropriate level of fear to potential threats. And it does that in the case of alcohol by converting that GABA to a neurotransmitter called glutamate, which is excitatory. We feel more agitated when we're in that influence. And so when we've had a few drinks at dinner, oftentimes that GABA to glutamate conversion is really hitting our brains right around two or three in the morning. And I think that accounts for why we wake up in the middle of the night, heart racing, thoughts racing. We proceed to toss a turn for the remainder of the night. We have lousy sleep, which in its own right impacts our anxiety levels the next day. But that GABA glutamate hangover is making us anxious. And it's not to say we should all forego alcohol forever and always. It's just knowledge that can Awareness. help inform our choices. Mm -hmm. One night you might say, this is the right time to savor this special meal with the glass of wine. But another night you might just want to say to yourself, I'm, it's not worth it to me tonight to squander my sleep. I think I'll have a seltzer instead. Yeah. Oh, no, I so love that. Great. I wonder if Rosé all day can, before we go to bed, <laughs> we, instead of taking an ibuprofen, we should, we should have almond butter. Almond butter. And water. Water and almond butter. But, but you're right. I mean, sleep, I, I notice it. I oh, mean, I, you yeah. know, like, you're right. Okay, all that. Like, I, I struggle, like, 
I start sweating. In the but I don't think a lot of people understand. I, mean, I never understood that connection. <laughs> I, start I never did. But it makes sense. So basically, what you're saying is, in order to kind of counterbalance this GABA, the body increases something to kind of counterbalance it a bit mm-hmm. to kind of yeah. tone, make this a bit more sense. tone deaf and heighten awareness, which creates this anxiety. Exactly. Conflict. Okay. Interesting. I have a really important question now. That was really important. Everything's really important. Yes. Okay. But so with our young people, everybody's wanting to do pot and mm-hmm. everybody's doing whatever. So I send my, we send our children, I'm talking more specifically, <laughs> yeah. but, but we send our children to college and uh, I don't know what the hell they're doing. Okay. But you know, they're doing college things, what we did. Right. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. But maybe worse. I think, you know, right now Possibly. it's a little bit yeah, yeah. more yeah. free flowing and, you know, thinking it's more normal. But when I was young, it was illegal to have mm-hmm, pot or mm-hmm. gummies or whatever form that that takes right and so the question i have is and i think i think i might be outdated but the question is is does that help anxiety or does and i think this is or does it not yes and Mm -hmm. then if you can just talk about like does plant medicine work Mm -hmm. and is that an approach in functional medicine yeah so cannabis in particular that's a conversation full of nuance. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, the ways that it's different today than it was even 10 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, is that the strains have been engineered really and bred to be quite potent. And so what we're seeing now, not only is it legal, not only does it now sort of carry this stamp of it's safe, it's approved. Thank you. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I will say, by the way, I do think of it as a lesser evil to certain alternatives. I think it's a safer sleep aid than Ambien. I think it's um, a better way to kick back and relax than alcohol. I think that it contributes less to traffic accident fatalities and domestic violence than other ways that we recreate. But I think that it has downsides as well. It can be good medicine. It can be bad medicine. And I think these days what's concerning is that it's stronger Mm -hmm. and it's ubiquitous. And when people start using it, especially males before the age of 19, it very significantly increases the risk for psychosis. And that's a very real effect that we're seeing washing up to shore in the emergency departments across this country. And so what's happening now is that um, there's teenage males heavily using this very potent, very strong cannabis gummies or however they're finding, you know, vaping it, they're all different ways of administering it. And they are changing fundamentally the trajectory of their mental health throughout their lives. Because once you have opened that Pandora's box of taking a brain to a point of psychosis, that has implications. Um, It certainly sets you down a trajectory in terms of what medications your brain have been exposed to, but also I do think it makes you more prone to that state in the future. So Mm. I'm not um, interested in a big full green light to heavy cannabis use um, under the age of 19. I think over the age of 19, it's a different conversation. And what I've observed in my practice is that some people come to cannabis in a very intentional, periodic way, once a month, once every two weeks, and it can be good medicine. Mm -hmm. They use it to have a ritual, to be more mindful, to really appreciate something, to uncover truths, to enjoy music, whatever it is. I think it can play a positive role. 
And I also have patients who are using it every single day. And I've only ever witnessed that to have a negative effect on someone's overall mental health. Mm. It starts to impact their anxiety levels, depression levels, um, cognitive function, motivation. And I do think that's a real effect. Mm -hmm. So it's nuanced. It's not an all good or all bad substance, but under the age of 19, I do think we want to have a really honest conversation with our kids mm -hmm. that I'm not saying this is off limits forever, but there are risks when we use it before 19. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. So, so for somebody who ha already yep. has anxiety that? and who is on like a Prozac or mm -hmm. something like that, and then layers on top of that, you know, cannabis, I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, are we layering, I mean, yeah. layering more issues and throwing more fuel on the fire, I guess, just, so to speak? I think it's really individual. Some okay. people do feel an anti-anxiety effect from cannabis mm -hmm. use. And so if that's how they're getting by through a particularly anxious period of time and it helps them sleep or it just helps them decompress, if it works for them, okay. The data is mixed and a little bit tipped towards it's not an effective anti-anxiety strategy, but I think it gets muddied by the fact that people react differently to it. Because sure. some people get anxious from cannabis. Some people get paranoid from cannabis. For some people, it makes their heart rate faster and it creates a subjective experience of anxiety in their body. So um, so I think the, the data is messy and you have to know for yourself. Okay. Does this make okay. you more anxious or less anxious? <laughs> Okay. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, we have Doctor, stories. We okay. have stories. No, 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 so, yes. no, no. I'm, I'm off any gummies or anything. And not that I was ever on it, but I tried it when I was in Vegas. Okay. Yes. And I honestly thought somebody would have to take me to the doctor. And we went to like an actual store yes. that yes. had a Budmaster. And I said, well, yes. yeah, let's just try it. Cause I'm yes. not, Yes. you know, and, and so that's why we're laughing because yes. like I was psychotic. I thought I was dying and some, and I didn't want to spoil Gina's time. Yes. So I didn't want to tell her and I'm at the pool. My eyes are big. Anyway, it was the <laughs> worst was thing I ever it experienced. Was I was like, I'm never having that again. Okay. Yeah. Like that is not <laughs> yes. happening. And it was, you know, it wasn't like I got it off the street and just took it. And it was like, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I know. So I think, I mean, I'm it scaring all you people out there. Yeah. But it is. It's one of those things where you, you know, small doses see if it works for you if it doesn't you move you move on you move on there's this like classic problem which is that like the bud master as you called it whoever's you know at the <laughs> cannabis dispensary they are in my mind by definition someone for whom cannabis is good they like it their brain responds and they're in a positive normal way. used to they're used to it and i'm not i wasn't used to it so that could have had something to do with it <laughs> i think they don't always have sympathy for the person whose brain responds in a different way to it yeah you know, they took that job because they are passionate about this substance. <laughs> That's the mastery. Right, That's the mastery. <laughs> oh my goodness. That anyway, yeah, sorry. I mean, we were like, amazing. that was a funny story. Yeah. Like it was, I mean, I wasted a whole day of my vacation. Uh -huh. I mean, literally. You were so. mad about it. I'm mad about it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I want to take us one more place and well, maybe a couple more places, but you do talk about um, nuanced, a nuanced take on body positivity. And I wanted oh, yeah. to hear, there's That's, so much like, I really mean, good. we haven't really talked about why we have such an epidemic of, uh, of anxiety, but I do think like the social media and the influencers it's and like, what let us count the ways of why, yeah, right. And, <clears throat> and, and our young people, you know, even us, okay, like, forget the young, let's, let's add the forget old people me. to that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, but but particularly us. the young people that are, sure, you know, sure. are growing up. What, what is your take on that and anxiety? 
So there's a lot to this. And I would yeah. say in the months since I wrote that section, I probably changed my phrasing that it's not that I'm pushing back against body positivity. And I don't really know a better term to use, but here's what I mean by yes. this. We are in a moment right now where we're having a beautiful reclamation against toxic diet culture, all these patriarchal yes. pressures on women to be thin. And we're kind of saying, what? No, fuck you. I'm done with that. Yeah. I'm done depriving myself. I'm done being hungry. I'm done striving for a particular size. I'm done thinking that that's what matters about me. I'm done performing everything and suffering for to please the male gaze, like done, done, done with all that. And I'm here for that reclamation. The spirit of it is so good. And I just want to caution us mm -hmm. that waiting with open arms is the processed food industry. Mm -hmm. And they're there to say, great, I'm here for you. Treat yourself. And I don't think they have our best interests in mind either. Right. Um, the brilliant author, Elise Lunin, put this so well. She was like, when she started to move away from cleanses and all of that mindset, she ran right towards, as she calls it, eating like a teenage boy. And, and I think that this is the problem is that as we're reclaiming this way that we refeed is also not an act of self-love. Right. And if we lived in a food industry with integrity and transparency, eat to your heart's content. But the trouble is these foods do not have love or integrity at their core. They derange our metabolism, they override our satiety signals, they inflame our bodies, they dysregulate our hormones, they wreck our gut, they wreck our mental health. And so we do have to be intentional about how we're feeding ourselves. And that, you know, when I when I come forth ever with an idea of like, we need to be intentional about how we're feeding ourselves, it raises a lot of grievances and people say, yeah. well, that's diet culture and that's triggering my eating disorder yeah. and da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And I really wish we lived in a landscape where I didn't have to say that, but we live in a world yeah. where they're looking to poison us and addict us to their foods around every corner. Yeah. So I think that's just it. Our processed food industry, we have to be real about the fact that it has engineered our foods to be hyper palatable. And I think in an interesting twist, a lot of eating disorders, I think actually have at the root, the fact that these foods are engineered to be hyper palatable, yeah. which mm -hmm. is a nice medical euphemism for addictive. Mm -hmm. And when you start to eat in a world where there's addictive foods, if you bring to that any degree of trauma, of feeling lost, lonely, right. unmoored in your life, it behaves like a drug. In the way that all drugs, if you have a big hole to fill, drugs will come in and say, I will temporarily fill that hole for you, but also leave you feeling low afterward, lower than you started off. And mm -hmm. so for some people, they reach for alcohol or they reach for cocaine or heroin. For other people, they're reaching for food. I reached for food when I was lonely I and unmoored. Too. And that was my drug. And it was a very socially condoned drug. Yes. And yet I knew it was a drug relationship for me. Yeah. And for me, the exit ramp, and this is very touchy stuff, um, but for me, the exit ramp was actually identifying which foods in particular were behaving like drugs in my body, abstaining from those temporarily so that I regained a feeling of freedom around food, where I started to experience satiety, where I started to experience real hunger. And that actually was what allowed me to heal my relationship to food. And that did mean abstaining from the foods that behave like drugs. For the most part, it's processed foods. For some people, sugar. For some people, yeah. gluten and dairy are a factor because mm -hmm. they can kind of behave like opiates for some people. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's you so much to... Oh, God, here, I know, but, I know. So, but, so when you say for a period of time... 
three months, six months. I know it probably varies by person. So I, I did I, that I too. That. I don't know how long. It yeah. Took. So, but I'm kind of curious from a allowing Medical. your body to kind of disconnect from it and start to show you signs of how much better you could feel without it. Yeah. How what's, long what's is a that? good, what's a good benchmark to, that's if a good listeners question. are are listening, like how long would you want to abstain from something if you if you're feeling in that way, regardless yeah, of what I mean, it is? There's so many different ways to think about this question, and for some people, they're interested in just healing on a physical level, sure. like emotionally, they're good, but sure. they're like, oh, I don't get a period, or I'm inflamed, or I have acne, or I'm always bloated. So then you're doing it for let's say a period of a month or two, okay. and you're reintroducing foods because you systematically want to assess how do you feel when you're off these foods, mm -hmm. how do you feel when you reintroduce okay. them. That gives us great information and then what you do with that information is between you and your maker but you want to at least know in your own body <laughs> for me i was there was a cluster of different problems that i was dealing with and on the one hand i had to heal my body but on the other hand i had to create some spaciousness where i could have the psycho-spiritual healing that would fundamentally address why i was reaching for a drug and so it was a longer process for mm -hmm. me my body was slowly healing in the background that was on the order of months even really years to mm -hmm. be honest but months there was already a, quite a bit of improvement but then the psycho-spiritual healing also had to occur All i right. had to find community i had to feel in alignment in the work that i was doing um i needed to love myself I need to reclaim my connection to intuition. All of that healing was why sure. now I can eat those drug-like foods and not be triggered into a right. binge. But there, it was touch and go for a little while. Because there's nothing there that, or less there that needs to be filled. There are exactly. some things I will never reintroduce. No. Yeah, I will never. I, yeah, no, just I, because I can't. I mean, I don't know what happens, okay? Like, I have no idea. Yeah. No, uh, And, you know, a lot of it's spiritual, and I've done a lot of spiritual work on this, and that's why I, I like your your point of, like, let's, let's reclaim, but not... Well, I'm, I'm going to murder this, but like, <laughs> let's reclaim our body. This is all good. And loving your body is good. Yeah. All of this is great. It's just like, don't. it's not an open invitation. It's not safe as an open invitation just to, to go have anything you want. Correct. And if you feel that way, I think it's a spiritual. I mean, we have DNA and trauma in our systems all of, of um, you know, starving ourselves yes. and you know yeah. all all of these other things that exist within us so this is a heavy long hard topic and it's a journey it's a journey and it's a beautiful journey to go on and figure out for yourself because everybody's different like you said you could introduce it mm -hmm. there's some things i mean protein bars do not put them in my house okay yes. like yes i cannot have bars in my house they've been banished they've been years. banished okay yes, like yeah, and yeah. what why okay i have no idea why okay because i'm a i'm a clean eater well you'll you know why and so because well, that's junk uh, marketed as health food <laughs> exactly and so you think oh it's, it's the great. most processed of the processed really <laughs> yeah 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 it's no. not real food mm -hmm. i mean i think holly you're, you're you're touching on something i think is central to this which is that it's the spirit behind why we're making these choices yes. and in the past and for many of my patients, restriction was happening as a function of self-hatred. It was, why do I eat this? Why mm. do I eat yes. this junk food? Why do I avoid this food? It's because I hate myself. And what I want people to arrive at is actually a form of, I hate to say this dirty word, it's a form of restriction, but entirely imbued with self-love. Mm. Why am I eating this food? Why am I not eating this food? Because I love myself. Yeah. 
because I want to feel good. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. We want you to have the last word here today, but I do (laughs) before. I mean, she's fought for all the words up until now. She says it better than me too. It's so good. Yes, I I learned quickly. It's probably a good day for me to be a little bit more quiet. (laughs) Anyway, what I love is, and what I want to invite our audience to do, and I and you said this, and I'm going to re-say it. Then you have the last word, and sadly, okay, like listen, I know we can have forever. I mean, yes, we. I mean, if we were nice enough, maybe she'll come back because I, I think this is right. such a beauty. Right. And we have spent time on our well, podcast in ep- episodes leading up about this topic. Yeah, and so absolutely. I, I think mm-hmm. it's critical. It's, yeah. I, I, we all know it's Great critical. Timing. It's perfect timing. There are so many layers to this. But I think just some simple and the way you... I mean, I feel like a, 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 literally like a hundred pounds is off my shoulders that this is not so something that, yeah. you know, you, it's not a some, life sentence. something snapped up here and I'm going to have to deal like, like there is something I have full control over to address. Yeah. It's not a life sentence. No. I love that. Yeah. Okay. We're going to give her yep. the last word. Yep. But before that, I just want to say for our audience and what you talked about, I would just say, like, if you're not feeling vital, it doesn't even have to be like you can't poop or, you know, like if you're just not feeling vital, like your energy isn't optimal because we're trying to say, like, we should be operating at optimal levels. And so if you're not feeling that way, that's a time. Get the book. Start out with the book and start looking at those things and just make just make small adjustments and see how you feel. Yes. And that will take you yes. miles. Okay. Yes. The floor is yours, Dr. Ellen Vora. Yes. <laughs> Here's a simplified roadmap. I think that's probably what's most helpful right now. The simplified roadmap is start with the physical. And basically, it's not high tech. It's not expensive. It's not inaccessible. Prioritize how you're sleeping, which usually requires some strategery because <laughs> we can't sleep in modern life. And it's mainly about light. So we have to learn how to be strategic about light. Mm-hmm. Move our bodies doesn't have to be all like we don't have to do the everything it's maybe you take a walk after dinner maybe do a few minutes of something simple you dance you take you do calisthenics in your living room whatever's easy affordable accessible pleasurable Mm -hmm. and then eat real food and avoid Mm. fake food as much as possible and then you shift to the psycho spiritual and I think there's two main components there. One is that we desperately need community. We need to prioritize mm. that above everything else. And then we're spiritually starved. And that's our cultural birthright at this point. And so here we are mm. where we need to figure out what was always our truth, not what were we taught, not what have we done in rebellion to what we've been taught, but what feels true to us and where do we connect to a state of awe or transcendence that's all it needs to be but we actually need to give ourselves permission to be in that state and to seek that oh. mic drop moment what <laughs> how beautiful and yes. what a gift yes that is incredible yes beautiful. thank you so much we are very appreciative of your time thank you for your talents thank you for your message going out in the airwaves yeah, and the getting story, across the, and the story st- is beautiful your story and, is beautiful yes. for all of us yes and thank you for being a badass powerhouse and getting just getting your message out there so that we yeah. feel hope yeah yes 
Thank you both so much. I love this podcast. I love <laughs> the energy you. you guys bring to it. This has been fun for me. Uh, I will come back if you invite yay. me back. Oh, and of course. Until next time. Yes. Where do you All live right. exactly? No, I'm yeah, not. No. We're, we're going to go ride bikes with her. <laughs> yes, we're going to go ride bikes. <laughs> and, and, and do the podcast <laughs> on a bike with a helmet. At least you can send your address safe, later. But safe, yes, no, safe, yes. We would love to have you back. Safety first, for sure. All right. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you yes, so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank yes. you, everybody. Everything will be in the show notes. Yes. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining our VIP conversation. And please visit us at our website, www.loauncork.com. See you soon.